The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. You know, we, we like to name lots of, lots of things after people. Some of you probably don't know, uh, you know, though you travel across it semi-regularly, the 520 Bridge is named after Governor A.D. Rossellini, a governor here in Washington. He was a governor before any of you guys were born, but, you know, the bridge is named after somebody. I'm not sure I would necessarily want a bridge named after me. I'd be more likely to go like, like with a trophy. You know, you've got the Super Bowl trophy, right? You have the Vince Lombardi trophy. There's Aaron Rodgers giving it a, giving it a hoist after, after Super Bowl win. Now that's a nice trophy, but if I was gonna put my name on a trophy, I'd want it to be something that is a lot more like Lord Preston Stanley's cup. Okay? I mean, you can, you can fit a small village into that thing. Okay, you want to talk about a real trophy, Lord Stanley. I mean, Lord Preston Stanley was in a position appointed by the Queen and now has the Stanley Cup named after him. You know that the Stanley, Seattle doesn't even have a hockey team anymore, but when the Stanley Cup travels through Seattle, people go to see it. It's amazing. Okay, so there's, of course, Lord Stanley's Cup. Sometimes uh, we name streets after people. Of course, most cities in this country, most big cities have a Martin Luther King uh, Jr. way. And uh, for you baseball fans, you get to cruise on down Edgar Martinez Drive when you head off to, uh, to Safeco Field. Okay, we like to name lots of different things after, after people. Um, but the guy that we're going to look at tonight has cities named after him. Okay, one we have here in, in our own, uh, in, in the United States, uh, a city, part of the Twin Cities, St. Paul. Okay, right adjacent to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then another one is the seventh largest city in the world, Sao Paulo, Brazil. St. Paul is the guy that we're going to be talking about tonight. A guy who went from being really a bit of a jerk to having a radical transformation uh, to the point now where, where uh, one way his legacy lives on is through these, these cities that are named after him. We're uh, tonight beginning to wrap up a series that we've been preaching this quarter around the question of calling. We've been looking at some of the different narratives throughout the Bible where, where people are called. Uh, to, to a particular task, but throughout this quarter we've been really subordinating the task piece of it, even though I, I know that one of the, the questions that you all struggle with the most is, is just, what am I supposed to do with my life? And we've been, we've been wrestling with that question, but trying to do it by, by asking a different question, which is, is how do we get to know the caller? And as we get to know the one who calls, the caller, then that will inform uh, this, any sense of, of calling uh, that, w- that we may have. And so tonight we're going to look, uh, as we have throughout the quarter, at, at the incredible experience that, that one man named Saul had as he encountered, in, as he encountered Jesus. Okay, uh, who is this guy Saul? Okay, you will most notably know him as Paul. 
Most of the second half of the New Testament is attributed to this very Paul. And what you have to understand about, about uh, I'm going to refer to him right now as Saul. Though later on in the talk, we'll call him Paul. Okay, Saul was a very, very passionate dude. Okay, fired up. He loved God. Um, but he was, he had this, this background as a, as a Pharisee, uh, as, you know, in Jewish, uh, in Jewish culture. And as one who, who had this, this great passion, um, when he saw people that, that, so to speak, weren't doing it his way, people that, that kind of got in the way of his ideology, he persecuted them. Uh, he, he was one of the meanest. He would stand by and watch Christians get killed, if not take a, a little bit of joy in the whole process. And so there's this, this moment where he is getting ready to leave Jerusalem. He gets, he gets permission from basically his boss, the high priest of the Sanhedrin, to, as he's traveling from Jerusalem, up uh, due north to Damascus, he, he, he wants to get the priest's permission that if I run into any of these, what they call the followers of the way, okay, that's what they called Christians in the first century. Isn't that an awesome name? Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm part of the way. It's money. Yeah, you want to be in it too. I know you do. Okay, they, he would, he would persecute these people. So, here's, here's this man Saul setting off uh, from Jerusalem to Damascus. And that's where we want to pick up uh, this story tonight. Acts chapter 9, beginning at the third verse. Here's, here's what it said. As he, Saul, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but he opened his eyes, and he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, 
Something like scales fell from, fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this text has spoken to people for generations, for millennia. And so as we gather tonight, will you once again speak to us through this text, Lord, that we might know you, that we might be transformed by you as we read your word. So Heavenly Father, help us out. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds to receive whatever it is that you have for us tonight. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's how this is going to work tonight. I've got a guy that uh, has become a great friend uh, of mine, Mike Gaffney. Uh, so great a friend, what I can tell you is that we share our, our Husky tickets. Okay, And somebody has to be a great friend if they're going to share your Husky tickets because... You know, they're going to see you in, in a condition, you know, around, you know, in, in a passionate condition that might be embarrassing. Like if you, you know, you cuss at a Husky game. Not that I would ever do that at a Husky game. But, I mean, no, but seriously. Never, never Ryan. No. no. Okay. You're kind and gentle with the refs. I, I, I am. I am. The Pac-10 officials are so good. They're great. Yeah. Um, Mike, Mike was my boss uh, here at UMIN for seven years and continues to be a mentor and a pastor in my life. I know that many of you are familiar with him, especially if you went to uh, Malibu Work Week, Work Week over spring break. Lots of those in here. You're familiar with, uh, with Mike Gaffney, so let's give Mike a, a warm in welcome. What I want to do is we're going we're gonna to basically unpack this text a little bit more by sharing how our, and, and by our, I mean primarily Mike's story, uh, intersect with the story that we just heard about this man named Saul being transformed, even taking on a new, uh, a new name, uh, Paul. Part of the way that I understand this story is that, is that Saul's conversion was really the biggest part of his calling. You know, that, that really the two, the two things, this encounter with Jesus and the way that he would spend the rest of his life were really, really had that primary influence. And as, as Mike and I have had the opportunity to, to get to know each other and, and really I've had the opportunity to hear him share his story, uh, quite a bit over the past, you know, 10, 12, 15 years that, that Mike's story parallels this as much as any other story that I know. So that's what I want you to hear tonight. And so, uh, I'm gonna fire a few, a few questions at him. We're gonna talk about the text, let you all into the conversation, hope, hopefully have a little bit of fun, uh, while we're doing that. So, Mike, thanks for being here. Good to be here. And share with us, of course, the problem in the text here that we saw is that Saul is a, is a guy who has a plan. Uh, he is, is a dude that has, has a good solid idea of what he thinks he wants to do and what he might do. Share with us, when you were a high school senior, even into your college years, what did you, what did you have in mind that you might do with your life? Well, first of all, you know, you're talking about things you want to name, have named after you. 
Um, like, I had a couple thoughts on that. I know, maybe, not, you know, like, I wanted a bowl game named after me. But that... The Gaff shit, Bowl? Yeah, the Gaff Bowl or something. Um, then <laughs> Sounds I, like something you do in Snohomish County. Yeah, there you go. Then, then it digresses down a little bit more to, like, I want a line of trucks named after me. Wouldn't anybody like a name it line of trucks? You know? The Gaff by Toyota. You know, so, you know... Line of trucks, and then, and then, and then another, and this is random, but only guys will get this one, okay? I mean, right, dudes? I mean, like, like, wouldn't it be great to have a boxer brief named after you? <laughs> like, Calvin Klein does not sound like a, a boxer that I want to wear, but, you know, something like, you know? Dude, gaff boxes? Loving my new package of gaffs. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, I did have some plans. Now, here, growing up, um, I grew up in a large family. I was the youngest of nine kids, big family. Um, and, you know, and, 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 and had a mom that kind of believed you could do what you want to do and, and make things happen, which was great uh, to have in my life. But, you know, there was a couple things that I knew. Uh, all three of my older brothers married their high school sweethearts, okay? So um, I assumed you had to uh, marry your high school sweetheart. So, you know, I had a little pressure on, so I thought, gosh, by my sophomore year in high school, I need to figure out who this person was. So, uh, that was one thing. I, I wanted to marry a great gal, maybe my high school sweetheart. Second thing is that I was going to come to the University of Washington to play football. Okay, that was definitely on my list. That was probably the number one thing on my list. And the third thing is all my life growing up as a child, I, I was, I was, James Bond was my hero. Okay, so, I, you guys, that's maybe not, yeah, are you guys are right with that? Which one? Like the, the Sean, Sean Connery? Connery. Okay. okay, yeah. I mean, no question. Got so, um, and, uh, but, you know, so, it, but, but, but I had a desire to go into law enforcement of some sort, be an FBI agent, do something like that. So that's kind of what I wanted to do for the most part with my plans growing up. Yeah. So, not hard to picture Gaff walking up to somebody's car going, get out of the car. <laughs> uh, for me. <laughs> For me, I, I know that, that my plans were to, were to come to UW, uh, you know, get a degree really in anything. I think I changed my major two or three times, but really go into sports administration. It was always my, my hope to be like the president of a, of a sports team or be the athletic director, something like that. So plans, plans clearly change along the way. Um, in the story that we just read, we hear, we hear about uh, this, this incredible encounter that Saul has with Jesus. And one of the things that's, that is really striking to me about this is that it, it was not, about, not nearly as much about Paul's or Saul's decision right. to follow Jesus as much as this was, this was about God. This was about Jesus pursuing, uh, pursuing Saul. Tell us a little bit about how did you how did you discover that God was pursuing you as you as you had your plans mapped out? Well, yeah, and if you look at Paul, I mean, he was kind of knocked off. I mean, literally knocked off his horse. I mean, that was kind of a pretty pretty uh, intense experience. I don't know if mine was quite quite like that with Paul. And, you know, I don't quite have that kind of same experience. But there were definitely some moments in my life that were pretty significant. Uh, in my life. I did not grow up as a Christian, um, but about my junior year, between my junior year in high school and my freshman year in college, there were some significant things that happened that I think helped me discover that, that maybe there, there, there's, a, there's a God that pursues. Matter of fact, I don't know if any of you were like this, but growing up, 
um, as, as kind of a typical American, I guess, if you will, I believe there was a God. But I believe that God is very distant and that God was very judgmental, if you will. He was, you know, uh, kind of the angry old man, you know, that, that I could, would, could certainly never... Uh, you know, make happy in any way, but he was definitely not involved. But there's a guy that came in my life, my junior in high school. He was actually a middle school health and PE teacher. So if you're ever wondering about influence, just, just this guy, but he, I was in high school at the time. He just happened to be an assistant coach who was a former middle linebacker. He was kind of one of those, you know, eat dirt, chew on nails, tough as, you know, this can be kind of guy. I uh, had a, he had a, you know, he had the big old handlebars, you know, coming down. I mean, nice. you know, I mean, the guy was just, just, you know, and his name was Ed Lumberg. And Ed Lumberg, um, reached out. And like the guy from Office Space? So he, he hung out with me and, um, you know, and just taking me to pizza and stuff. But this guy named Ed Lumberg, who was tough as nails, loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that, that seemed like a contradiction to me, but, but I began to discover that he loved Jesus because, because he knew that, that Jesus loved him. He started talking about, that didn't necessarily make a big change in my life though. Later on my junior in high school, two of my best buddies, uh, 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 Darren Kona and, and, uh, Chris Barton, um, uh, died in a sailing accident. These are two of my good buddies. The crazy thing about that day was a March day, um, and we had agreed that we we're going to go skiing that day, and uh, up at Stevens Pass. And so, and I was driving. I had I had the four wheel drive pickup truck, and so I was going to be the one driving up there. Was well, it a gaff? It was a gaffinator. <laughs> and um, w- but my dad uh, said I needed to work instead. So I, I went to work that day that I was supposed to drive. They decided it was a beautiful sunny day in March. Uh, they decided to go out sailing in the Puget Sound. The weather got bad, as it sometimes will in, in March in the middle of the afternoon. Boat tipped over, and they, uh, they drowned, and they died. That kind of woke me up to life and death. Still didn't necessarily make me go, you know, it didn't knock me off. I didn't say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but it began to wake me up. I come off to school here at the University of Washington. One of my dreams was to come here and play uh, football here. And, and uh, that year, there were some seniors on the football team who uh, were Christians, and they actually really kind of, I guess, acted like Christians, or at least from what I understood, it was like, wow, these guys are, are genuine, they're great football players, a couple of these guys played in the NFL for a long time, and they love Jesus, and I thought, wow, this looks really interesting, but the thing that really hit me was my freshman year, it was about March of my freshman year here at the University of Washington, in a two-week period of time, maybe this is a little more my Saul experience, yeah. in a two-week period of time, I had nine different people come up to me and ask me about Jesus. Now, these are random nine. things. Walking across Red Square, and some dude comes walking up and goes, Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? I mean, I'd be sitting down in by George, and some guy would come up to me, Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? I mean, this happened nine times in a two-week period of time. Needless to say, I kind of had to sit up and say, um, is God pursuing me, you know, as a hound of heaven, if you will, coming after me, um, certainly is barking up my tree. And, and, and I realized at that point in my life that I learned enough things that I thought to myself, and this is important to hear, is that in that moment I said, you know, Christianity looks interesting, looks good. Mm-hmm. And I was building a resume in my life. I mean, I, I was a student at the University of Washington. I was playing on the football team. I had this great gal in my life. And, you know... Jesus, you know, this Christianity, I'll add Christianity to my resume because I figured it would kind of just kind of add to it, kind of kind of add to what I was trying to build uh, a name for myself with. And so I, in that March, kind of said, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll become a Christian. Yet 
on the resume, as, it, as the, the text says to Paul, um, Jesus says, oh, he's going to suffer when Ananias is making that appeal. Um, it, it wasn't quite as easy. It, you know, the other thing that happens here is that Saul is blinded. Yeah. Tell us a little bit. You went from, from going, okay, this might be a good resume builder. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the blindness. If this was a bit of your Saul experience, in March you say, okay. Yeah, looks good. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do? Tell us about that season of blindness. Well, that's what's interesting. I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you here, but the thing that was interesting is so I kind of say, yeah, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a Christian, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of made some of the guys on the football team kind of happy. They thought that was cool. And, and uh, so I become a Christian. And um, But what happened then was all of a sudden a bunch of bad things happened. You know, um, so we went into spring football that year. And as you can notice, you're, you're probably looking at me and thinking, well, he was a kicker or, uh, you know, and like now I, I played defensive back and, and I was told by, by Pac-10 schools, I was too small to play in the Pac-10. Uh, but I kind of had the stats coming out of high school. So, so I knew enough and the coaches knew me. So I got to come here and I got to walk on and I actually got to play as a freshman, my first, my first season, a little bit on special teams coming into spring ball. I was second team. Um, I was playing well. I was, uh, the, the scholarship was, was in my hand. The, uh, uh, it was like I was going to make it. I was going to make a name. See, I didn't just want to play football. I don't know if this is true for some of you. I didn't just want to play football. Football sounded fun, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, I wanted to play football, enjoy the sport, but I wanted to make a name for myself through playing football, especially doing something like, I'm going to walk on it. You know, get, now, just so you know, and Ryan can tell you more about this. When I was playing, this was in the 80s, and some of you are like going, oh my gosh, I was not alive. No, you probably weren't. Uh, <laughs> but just so you know, we used to always compete for Pac-10 championships and national championships. As a matter of fact, my freshman year, we were ranked number one in the nation for seven weeks in a row. Um, we, we, had, we had some great teams back in these days. It was a lot of fun, and I wanted to prove that I could do it. Spring ball comes. Towards the end of spring ball, I get an injury so severe that I was told by three different doctors, including the team doctor, that I'd probably never play football again, that my football career was over. Needless to say, when you're put, you know, when that's your plan, that kind of rocked my world. And the next thing that happened was I started making bad decisions with my life. I started making some decisions that weren't very healthy for me, but they also weren't very healthy for the people around me. And I put some pain and some hurt into people's lives around me, people that I supposedly cared about and people that I supposedly loved. And so this is the blindness that started setting for me. Like all of a sudden my world, I, wait a minute, I decided to put Jesus in my life. I decided to become a Christian. All of a sudden my feels like my world is and going worse. And you on your resume. Yeah. Like this, this, this isn't good, helping right? my resume yeah. very well. It doesn't right. feel like. And things got, feel like got darker for me until a point in time I was actually sitting in by George here on the University of Washington campus. I was sitting with a guy named John Scanza. He was one of those seniors on the football team. And John is one of these guys that just kept hanging out with me. And if you are young life folks, you, you, you know the familiar term contact work. And John was in essence doing contact, just hanging out with me and hanging out with me. We're sitting there and it's about the end of May of my freshman year, about this time. Of the year, come to think of it. And John was sitting there. We weren't really chatting. We were just, it was in between classes. We we were just hanging like dudes do not talking about anything, you know. And so we're just sitting there. And all of a sudden, I just looked at John. And and I couldn't believe this came out of my mouth. But I looked at John and said, John, I don't believe God exists. 
And John's just kind of this mellow dude, and, and uh, he just kind of scratches his head, and he looks across the table. And I think he's going to say maybe, like, man, you should have some faith, man. You should, like, you know, buck up a little bit here. He just looked at me, scratched his head, and said, man, I've been there. Man, I've been there. And I just thought, wow, what an answer, you know. Like, I sat there, and I thought, man, I wanted maybe something more. I didn't know what I was expecting, but he just said, I've been there. And he related to me, and we began to kind of have just a, a dialogue about the challenges of doubt and disappointment that we have. And does God show up, and where's God, and all this kind of stuff in the midst of life, Ryan. And in darkness, I, I guess you could say, I mean, hitting a point where you actually say, I don't think God exists. Hmm. And um, I remember that moment almost like it was yesterday, but... What was interesting is, is about three weeks later, matter of fact, it was about June, it was, matter of fact, I know the date, June 21st, 1983. I'm at a wedding reception, which has absolutely really nothing to do with my story other than to say, this is really random, okay? I'm at a wedding reception, okay? And it was during that time at this wedding reception that I just had this sense come over me that I need Jesus. And... And I said a prayer. I just said, God, I need you. And from that moment on, my life has never been the same. Like, I have a moment. That, that's my, so, if there's a moment, that was my moment where all of a sudden, it was like my eyes opened back up. And it was like, it, mm. and it wasn't anything deep. It was just, I need Jesus. And here's, here's the thing that I learned. And if, if you're listening to my story, is, is what I learned during that time was it was, it was great that through Ed and through some of the football players, through the loss of my friends and some of these things and the, and the nine people, I learned about this God that pursues us, that we're talking about, this God that comes after us because he loves us, Ryan. And I, and I, and, and I knew that was there and it was attractive to me, but something else had to happen. And that something else that had to happen to me was discovering the profound need I had for Jesus. And, um, and, and I think that's, that's that's certainly what happened that day of, of, of just realizing that it's one thing to put Jesus or to put Christianity on your resume. Mm. It's a whole nother thing to surrender your life and realize that you need him. Um, it's not a nice choice. Paul wasn't picking a new religion. Mm. <laughs> he wasn't going, well, uh, this this Jewish thing isn't working out for me. So maybe Christianity will work out for me. Maybe this will be a little bit better option. Paul got blinded by the reality that he needed the one who's the center of his faith, which is Jesus, the center of his Jewish faith. He needed to get his eyes off of him and on him. And that's what happened to me is I hit a point where I said, you know what? I realize I need Jesus, that I'm a broken person. The world around me is broken and I need him. So recognizing a need for Jesus created that moment in, in a sense where the scales fell from your eyes. Yeah. And behind that need, is, is, as you said, is a recognition of the profound love of Jesus. So June 21st, 1983, you're at a wedding reception. Yeah. All right. Random. That works. <laughs> Whatever, Lord. Um, yet you, and, and you say your life, has never, your life has never been the same, nor was Saul's the same after Ananias laid his hands on him. And the scales fell from his eyes. Yet, you were still Mike Gaffney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you were still the guy yeah. that plays football. Yeah. You were still the guy dating the girl. You were still the guy who was a, who was a student. Right. Paul was transformed, sanctified, if we were going to use a theological word after that moment. 
what happened from there? How did God, you know, from that moment begin to make the change? Yeah, and that's really a good point because in some ways, like, you know, like, I don't know what you guys think. When we, back in the 80s, like, you know, when Journey was big time and Def Leppard and all that, you guys? Okay, They're still yeah. big time. To They're you big time right now still, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, um, I've seen Journey in concert a couple of times just in the last year. Um, I saw Journey with Foreigner. Right. With Foreigner. Right. At yeah. the Emerald Queen Casino. Yeah, no, not the casino, but, you know, a little bit bigger time than the casino. Uh, so, um, however, that did just make me remember that I need to go online and buy tickets to Sticks. Nice. <laughs> because I hated Sticks, but my wife loves Sticks, and so I need to get her tickets to go to Sticks. So. Because then maybe she'll, maybe she'll go to an ACDC concert with you. But so anyway. Um, Don't count on it, bro. Anyway, back to, back to whatever we were talking about. Transformation. So yes. much for transformation, yeah. right? Never mind. My life never changed. I still, go listen, I still listen to ACDC. Um, no. Uh, Do you guys know who ACDC is? Anybody? Okay, no, that, all right. No, here's the real test. Anybody in here know who Sammy Hagar is? Oh, yeah. Little Red Rocker. Yeah, okay. So anyway. <laughs> Um, but my life did change a little bit. So, um, no, but here, here's, I think the thing that Brian's, you're asking, you're making a great statement. Cause I said, man, my life's never been the same. And yet in some ways it was totally the same, but it couldn't have been any, uh, it, it couldn't have been more, you know, transformed and changed. Here, here's, here's, here's the gist of it. Um, when we, in the eighties, I'm not kidding you. People would say things and maybe even earlier than that, like that. I'm afraid if I become a Christian, God's going to send me to Africa. You know, like that was the fear. Like, whereas like for you guys are like, I'll become a Christian. I want to become a Christian to go to Africa. Like, it's like, like probably half this room's been to Africa, you know, like, yeah, let's go, you know. (laughs) But when I, in the eighties, it was like, God's going to send us to Africa. Like that was a scary kind of deal. Cause it was, it was like, man, if I really become a Christian, then I'm going to do something goofy. Like I'm going to, you know, have to wear weird things. I mean, right. There's just kind of a, at least there was back then. So. I thought, like, wow, what's going to change? The interesting thing is, is that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, what happened instead is, okay, you got to understand, my girlfriend at the time, okay, my high school sweetheart, Sherry, who I, who's, who's now my wife, and we've been married for 26 years, my wife, uh, my wife wasn't a Christian either. My wife, my girlfriend, Sherry, at the time, became a Christian two weeks after I did through totally different circumstances in our life. And we were... Red-blooded American teenagers, if you get what I'm getting at here, we were, we did what most teenagers did, and life isn't any different today. Matter of fact, in the 80s, it may have been worse in some ways. 70s for sure, 60s absolutely, but anyway. um, (laughs) But the, you know, um, in other words, you know, it, it was about self, it was a, it was about, for Sherry, it was about Sherry, and for me, it was about me, and it was, it was physical, it was, a, it was a relationship that was just typical, classic relationship, and, and the thought could be, get out, you know, maybe I'll go find a Christian girl now, or something, or, you know, or something different, but, but God instead said, stay in, mm-hmm. and I just want you to do it different. You stay in the relationship. I just want, as a matter of fact, I'm going to transform it. I'm going to take this selfish, self-centered relationship, and I'm going to transform it into something radically different. And Ryan, three weeks ago, I did a wedding. 
I officiate at weddings. I've spoken this year even to couples about relationship stuff. The Lord has used what he did in our relationship to this day in the lives of other people to say, you know what? I don't know what mess you're in. Uh, and I get a little emotional saying this. But God will change it. He has the ability to. I lived it. This is real. This isn't like nice little life. This was radical change that needed to occur. And I get to be married to this person that I lived through this radical trend. Hard? Absolutely. But I watched God do an incredible work uh, in that. Second thing, my dad was an alcoholic most of my whole life. Okay? And so I'm a 19-year-old punk, okay, who just discovered my need for Jesus, right? I didn't care about my dad. I was off at college doing my own thing. Matter of fact, I, being the youngest of nine kids, um, I never had a curfew ever in my life. That's not a good thing, especially when you're like, have older brothers and sisters who don't have curfews either. And then you're like in ninth grade and you don't have a curfew. And so you grow up really fast. And my parents' response to, you know, that I have a curfew is like, well, the other ones always came home, so he'll probably come home. So, um, <laughs> which sort of happened. I'd come home, then I'd leave. <laughs> well played. Wait, my daughter's in. Anyway, so don't cut that part out so my kids don't hear that. Um, but anyway, um, but my dad. Um, I didn't care. Like It was like, whatever, he's doing his thing, I'll do my thing. All of a sudden, I become a follower of Jesus, and all of a sudden I have a desire to know my dad and have a relationship with my dad and realize that my dad's an alcoholic and I wish this would change. And all of a sudden I found myself caring about my dad and praying for my dad. And One time I was talking to a guy named Chuck Snyder. Chuck was the chaplain of the Husky football team. And I, and, I, and I was talking to Chuck, and I said, Chuck, man, I just wish my dad loved me. I wish my dad wanted to connect with me and wanted to hang out with me. And I just wish my dad wouldn't just always critique me and criticize me and tell me things I should be doing and make me go to work or whatever. I just wish my dad would be something different. I wish my dad would love me. And Chuck looks at me, and he goes, Mike, why don't you just start loving your dad? And I was like, I'm the kid. Like, he's the dad. And Chuck looked at me and he said, the spirit of the living God dwells in you. The God that created the universe lives in you. The God who is love dwells inside of you. You can choose to love your dad if you let God do it through you. My dad, relationship with my dad began to change. Okay, God didn't take me and put me in Africa. He started changing things. And the other one was a football team. Um, it was a little bit challenging when all of a sudden he come back from the summer and you come back to the football team, and uh, now you're following Jesus. And the dudes you've been hanging out with your freshman year are like, what? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, <laughs> you know, they're looking at you, and they don't know what to do with you, and I didn't know what to do with them. And, and uh, uh, the story, if, you, if you're following the story a little bit, I was told I'd never play football again. But I had a surgery. I was out for about, I couldn't run for nine months. And then about a whole year I was out, and I ended up coming back. Got to play for three years, and, and uh, it was a blast. Had fun. Had a great time. But the best part about all this wasn't just that I got to play. It was that uh, as I hung in there mm-hmm. with my teammates, I found myself in that same role as a senior having influence over, over, over other, other guys on the team. Mm-hmm. You know, after, after taking a while to have to earn that respect, mm-hmm. you know, and them not totally believing this faith thing and but living it out and being in a place where I too got to build it. So God, you know, in essence, Ryan, what I'm saying is, is that the funny thing is, is yeah, nothing. The things I was doing were the same, but they were being done differently. Right. They were do, being done with with a different outlook 
uh, on life. And, and God has since used that in my life, those times in my life, to continue to remind me that, that um, it's not the fact that I, I used to be, do your job here or that I now work for Young Life and do the stuff that I do there. That's what I get paid to do. So to speak, what God does is, is said, you know what? It doesn't matter whatever you're doing, whether it's your kids, your marriage, your neighborhood, the checker at the supermarket. It's it's being involved in whatever God is doing in people's lives right where you're at. God took who you were, the gifts, the talents, the passions that you had, redirected it and 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 gave you Gave you this incredible influence in the in the place that that you were at. Yeah. Similarly, Anna and I, or Saul is it has this amazing encounter with Jesus, and who he already was is simply redirected, perhaps even redeemed. That this person who was going about persecuting Christians now goes is is now redirected to being a mentor to those Christians. My freshman year uh, would have been the fall of 1994, one night after, uh, a couple weeks after a girl had broken up from me, and I'm in the pit of despair. I have that pit in my stomach, you know what I'm talking about, it sucks. And a friend invited me here, and I sat right over um, on, on that wall, right over there, and the guy who was up here speaking was talking about, uh, was talking about playing, playing Husky football. And, and uh, I, I found myself sitting there that night going, hmm, Mike Gaffney was the guy up here speaking. He played Husky football. Okay, and it had me back into a place where after the service, I came up and introduced myself to Mike and said, so I was in the second grade. And I went to my first Husky football game. And the score was tied 10 to 10. And our offense had like 140 yards of total offense in the entire game. It was a pathetic showing by our offense. Well, late in the game, uh, this one guy comes around the corner, blocks a punt, a guy named Tim Peoples. Okay, and I'm, I'm telling this to Mike. I'm saying, the first game I went to, this is what happened. Oregon, 10 to 10. Tim Peoples blocks the punt, and you recovered it for a touchdown. We won the game. We beat the Ducks. Come on. Okay? Yeah. And that week, that week took over the number one ranking in the country where we sat for the next seven weeks, which was nice. Okay? Here's why I tell you that story. That as I sat over there on that night back in the fall of 1994, and what I have come to realize since then was that June 21st, 1983 was an incredibly important day in my life. Because of what happened to Mike. As you guys have heard me share, that it was over the next year and a half or so of coming and sitting in the various corners of this room that I begin to ask the question or at least evaluate if I'm going to say that the things that I hear this guy talking about, if I'm going to say that I believe that and it's true, then it means something much different for my life than the way I was living. You see, that's influence. That Mike took that moment where who he was was redirected. I am so glad that Mike was a football player. Because in that moment, it gave him insta-credibility for me. And that was a game changer for me. Here's what I want us to take, take away tonight. And we're, we're going to wrap up here. 
First off, here's what you need to know. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. The heart of God is one that says your life can be transformed. That relationship you have with your mom and dad can be transformed. The confusion that you have about what you may or may not do with your life can be transformed. Jesus changes everything. That's true in Mike's life. It's true in my life. And from that change, as Saul becomes Paul and then is commissioned to go not only to the Gentiles, but to their kings, oh, and the people of Israel, the whole doggone empire have influence. Have influence. Have influence to to say, you need Jesus. And have influence to say, Jesus loves you. It doesn't always make sense. There's suffering involved. You have influence to say, you need Jesus. And you have influence to say, Jesus loves you. Do that with your, do that with your life. The collar is good. The collar is transforming you. Respond to that collar with influence. Pray for us, Mike. Gracious Lord, thank you that you do pursue us. And you've pursued everybody in this room. You keep doing it. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see you pursuing us in the midst of our bad decisions and in the bad decisions that happen to us. Lord, the mess that comes our way and the mess we choose to make, Lord, may we continue to realize that you, through your love, keep after us. Keep hounding us. Lord, we pray that you will not stop and that we would be willing to be uh, to listen. And Lord, I also pray for each person in this room that if it's their charge tonight as they go forth uh, to make a difference, to, to love their boyfriend or girlfriend differently, hmm. to love them the way you would choose to love instead of loving selfishly. If it's to engage a parent that they have a broken relationship or a challenge with, Lord, that they would they would be able to not only believe, but that they would continue to have help and encouragement along the way. And Lord, for right where they are at, whether it's in the fraternity or sorority, their dorm or the house they live in, the job that they've got, the classrooms that they're in the midst of, uh, Lord, wherever they're at right now, Lord, we ask that you would grant each one of us in this room, Lord, not everybody's going to get up here and be Ryan Church and be a big speaker in front of the end, but Lord, you give each one of us an opportunity to bless somebody else's day, help us simply to go forth with the blessing you give us to bless somebody else. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thanks.